Someone wrote a, uh, a rather sarcastic letter to a preacher, and I'm not sure whether I think it, well, it seems like it came from the new evangelical crowd, but uh, anyway, listen to it if you would. Dear Reverend, thank you for doing so much to educate people regarding God's law. I have learned a great deal from your preaching. I try to share that knowledge with as many people as I can. When someone tries to defend the homosexual lifestyle, for example, I simply remind him that Leviticus 18.22 clearly states it to be an abomination, end of debate. I do need some advice from you, however, regarding some of the specific laws and how to best follow them. When I burn a bull on the altar as a sacrifice, I know it creates a pleasing odor to the Lord, Leviticus 1.9. The problem is my neighbors. They claim the odor is not pleasing to them. Should I smite them? I would like to sell my daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. In this day and age, what do you think would be a fair price for her? Leviticus 25.44 states, I may indeed possess slaves, both male and female, provided they are purchased from neighboring nations. A friend of mine claims this applies to Mexicans but not Canadians. Can you clarify? Why can't I own Canadians? I have a neighbor who insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus clearly states he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself? A friend of mine feels that even though eating shellfish is an abomination, Leviticus 11.10, is it a lesser abomination than homosexuality? I, I, I don't agree with him. Can you settle this? Leviticus 21.20 states, I may not approach the altar of God if I have a defect in my sight. I have to admit, I wear reading glasses. Does my vision have to be 20-20, or is there some wiggle room here? Most of my male friends get their hair trimmed, including the hair around the temples, even though that's expressly forbidden in Leviticus 19.27. How should they die? I know from Leviticus 11, 6-8, that touching the skin of a dead pig makes me unclean. But may I still play football if I wear gloves? My uncle has a farm. He violates Leviticus 19.19. 19. He plants two different crops in the same field. His wife wears garments that are two different kinds of thread, cotton and polyester. He also tends every once in a while to curse and blaspheme. Is it necessary we go to all the trouble of getting the whole town together to stone them? Uh, couldn't we just burn them to death at a private family affair like we do with people who sleep with their in-laws? I know you've studied these things extensively. I'm confident you can help. Thank you for reminding us God's word is eternal and unchanging. Uh, that letter, uh, although some things were rather humorous in it, uh, exemplifies, I think, the attitude of some in regard to the law. Well, if the law has no sway, if Christians are, are free and we have liberty, then does anything go? And sometimes whenever you mention that we should live a different life, the cry of legalism is used to silence any discussion about the Old Testament law. What does God say? Are these people correct? Is this thinking right? And when you come to these, the, the law, how do you handle it and what do you do with it? Well, we've been trying to answer that question now for a little while. And we have shared with you a number of truths. We've kind of been giving you the straightforward Bible truths to guide our thinking. Uh, we began by sharing under that point, Roman numeral three, that from the time of Abraham, the Jew has been under the law. 
But it does change for Jews at a certain point. When does it change? Because the law is binding eternally, at least according to Exodus, where we learn that about the law. So when does it change for a Jew? Or does it? Okay, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, I have it in Galatians chapter 2. One of the reasons why is because it does deal with the, the point that we're going to make in a moment. And it also reminds us of that truth. He says, for I, verse 19, I'm sorry, chapter 2 of Galatians, for I, Paul writing, through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Interesting statement Paul makes in verse 19. I, through the law, am dead to the law. It's kind of interesting, but Paul shares with the church at Galatia as he was dealing with this issue, we're not saved by what we do, we're not saved by the law, nor are we required to go back and start living by the law. And he talks about how in chapter 3, remember, the law is our schoolmaster, brings us to Jesus Christ. And Paul here says, you know, I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Interesting statement of a Jew, isn't it? Because he says, I'm dead to the law. I'm no longer under that law. Now, Paul did follow a, a, a number of things. He went to, on the Sabbath uh, to, um, to the synagogue. Uh, many times he did that so he could preach, we know. Uh, but uh, he still did some of those things, but he understood this, and he shares in many different places this truth. We're not under the law. So a, a Jew is under the law until he comes to faith in Christ. And the Gentile has never been under the law. We spent a lot of time on that last week and shared that truth. But where we left off is that all Christians have a new law, the law of Christ. And if you look at verse 20, we find that to be the case in Galatians 2, as we just read. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Righteousness doesn't come by the law, Paul says. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And now I'm living to, a, if you would, a new law. I'm living to a new, a new purpose, a new goal. Whereas Paul could say, a little while ago, I was under the law, and I lived under the law, and I served the law, and I was, I was a faithful follower of the law. But no longer do I, I do that. I, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so the Christian has a new law, the law of Jesus Christ. Remember, we shared this last week as we concluded. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And some, at least uh, those who are, are, are push for the Seventh-day uh, Baptists, pushing for uh, worship on the Sabbath day and that we're still under the Old Testament law, uh, will argue that you know, Jesus was saying you follow the commandments, but that wasn't a reference to the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ himself said, I've come to fulfill the law, and he did. He fulfilled all the law, so we don't, and we can't anyway fulfill the law. So are we under it? No, a Christian is not. 
the, the new law is this law of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be like Christ. I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and uh, what he taught. For example, love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord thy God. Although that actually summed up the law, didn't it? But those are things Jesus taught. And then uh, the new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Um, Paul, by the way, described this as well in another place. Actually, he's the one that, that goes to great lengths. Look, if you would, at Philippians. Would you turn there with me? Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. This law of Christ, what does it mean? Uh, does it mean I, I don't have any regard for the law? Well, we'll get to that. All right, But in, in Philippians chapter 3, he shares what it means. In verse 8, he says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then verse 10 I think kind of describes and sums up what this, this law is, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And he describes how he hasn't attained. He's not already perfect, but he was pressing toward the mark. And it was all this to be like Jesus Christ. So here is what, the, the if you would say, is there a law for the Christian today? It's the law of Christ, to be christ like, that I may know him, that I may have a great knowledge of him. In First Peter chapter, uh, is it First Peter chapter 1 or Second Peter chapter 1, where we learn that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and he's given us his word to give us those truths. He says he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us glory and virtue, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The more I know him, the better I know him, the more I'm like him. That is the law of Christ. That is the way I'm supposed to live. As it is written, Peter said, be ye holy as I am holy. And so we have this new law the Christian is to live under, and that is the law of Jesus Christ. And uh, that encourages us. So we don't have a list to follow anymore. We don't have 10 commandments that have to be followed. We have a person to emulate. And in emulating that person, we're going to follow a great number of those 10 commandments. But emulating Jesus Christ is the goal for the Christian. Um, Paul gave us another perspective. Look in Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8. In this passage, we're told there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Interesting statement because that was the picture he gave of the law, that it was a law that led us to see our sinfulness and our failure to measure up. But there's a new law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. For what the law could not do, verse 3, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but how? 
Okay, so what is this law of Christ? What is this requirement? Not 10 commandments that we're supposed to follow in Exodus chapter 20, but allowing God's spirit that lives within us to, to live through us, to control us, that we might be, if you would, like Jesus Christ. Um, the new way of living, again, is not a list of commands, but it's a walk after the spirit. You say, well, oh, come on, Romans chapter 8, is that the only place we see it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Turn, if you will, to, back to Galatians. Back and forth, I know, but the book of Galatians. Because it's not just in Romans 8, which, by the way, a little bit later on, a few verses later, he said that, uh, that it's, it is a, it's not the law we're to follow, it's the Spirit of God who gives us life and who directs us in life. But in Galatians chapter 5, we're told, remember verse 1, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, that bondage to this law we're trying to follow, which we don't measure up to. So what does God teach us? Verse 18, but if you be led of the Spirit, what did God say? Okay, I'm not under the law. I'm not under those Ten Commandments any longer. Why? Well, if I'm led of the Spirit, I am going to follow and walk in the path that God wants me to walk. And so, uh, please understand this. The Bible is painfully clear. There is no place in the New Testament, none whatsoever, where God tells believers, you are under the law, you need to follow the Ten Commandments any longer. It's not there. It's not taught. In fact, the only reference to like the Sabbath, as we've already mentioned, is in one place in Colossians, and it, it refutes and argues against the idea of following the law. And we find that taught here in this passage. And God uh, is interesting. It's interesting here because if you read verse 18, he said, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he talks about the works of the flesh. And then he, in verse 22, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. What is the Spirit going to bring forth? And it's interesting, not the Ten Commandments, but it's going to bring forth love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. Against such, there is no law. Do you see this emphasis? Look, look, we could walk through, and we already have. We've made reference to a number of passages already. The Christian is not under the law any longer. It holds no sway at all in any way, shape, or form in your life once you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, time isn't going to allow us to address everything, but go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And God deals with the subject of fornication. He talks about, about the sins of immorality that God says you're not to be involved in. Flee fornication, verse 18 of Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, we read. And he says, well, why do we flee fornication? Why should we not commit adultery? Why should we not? By the way, he never said don't commit adultery. He said flee fornication, which is all types of uh, sexual sins, moral impurities. Uh, so why does he bring that out, and what does he point out? Well, you would think he'd come out and say, because the Old Testament says don't do this, and he doesn't. So what does he bring out? Verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is the new law, if you would, for the Christian. It's the law of life in Christ. It's letting Jesus, or it's becoming, <coughs> striving to become like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was sinless. It is, it is striving in life to, to emulate him, to know him intimately. And as I know him intimately, then to walk in the ways that he would walk and act as he would act. That is what a Christian is supposed to do, and that is what our desire is supposed to be. It is allowing God's spirit that God has placed within me to control my life, that I be sensitive to him and let him uh, show me when I have sin and not grieve him, and then deal with those things that I might walk in the way of the spirit and under the control of God's Holy Spirit. This is life in Christ, and this is what God desires from, from our lives if we're part of the family of God. So the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament, and the and the law, a Christian is not under. Clear? Is that understood? All right, then the last point, and this is where we get to that opening, opening, um, you know, letter that was written. Learning from the law is not legalism. Learning from the law is not legalism. All right, pastor, we're not under the law, so we can do whatever we want. No, learning from the law is not legalism. Um, though uh, there isn't a, a law that we are under, there is no Old Testament law we're supposed to follow. The Old Testament law is very valuable for our lives today. I already mentioned it, but turn to First Peter, if you would, First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 14, God tells us we're to be obedient children. And again, by the way, he couldn't, couldn't he have just said, follow the Ten Commandments? There's so many places in the New Testament that we could have been told, follow the commandments, follow the commandments, but we're not. We're told to be obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to the former lusts in your, in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, all manner of living, every, every area of life. We're to be holy because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now you say, why did we read that verse? Here's why. The law is a fine place to find out what a holy God thinks of things. If you want to find out about the holiness of God, read the minor prophets and the major prophets who went to the children of Israel and talked about and shared with them how there is a holy God that is greatly offended by their actions and their activities. Is there a benefit to the Old Testament? There's, an old, uh, there's a great benefit to the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. There's a great benefit to going to the Old Testament law because in it we learn how a, how a holy God thinks. We learn what a holy God is like. Uh, the Ten Commandments are beneficial in the, in the sense that they teach us that there is a God who, who, um, who declares there's right and wrong, that that God expects some things. And, and so the, there's a value in it. Um, although it's not a list for us to follow, and, and it's not like, okay, these ten things are what you're supposed to do because they've already proved that we've failed and we don't measure up. 
Today they give us a great benefit because they help us to understand that there is a, a holy God and, and what a holy God thinks and what he would like, um, what, what he is like. Um, the Old Testament teaching can be a great example for believers today. And I, boy, boy we don't have time to, well, we're going to, let's do it, all right? Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15. You're probably tired of this verse because I mention it many times. In fact, a great majority of times when we go to the Old Testament. It's a great passage because it reveals one of, the, one of many reasons why God has given us the Old Testament and what value it can be. Not because we're under the law, not because we have to go back and we have to learn all those things that are found in the law, but because there's things we can learn from it. Verse 4 of Romans 15. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. You know, uh, God reminds us through many Old Testament examples and through uh, maybe not so much the law, but through the, throughout the Old Testament about how he worked with people. And there's many things we can learn from the lives of Old Testament saints and how they walked and the lives that, and the things that they experienced. Job teaches us a lot of things about life. David teaches us a lot of things about life. And so do many other Old Testament characters. Uh, Joseph, I mean, there are just so many that, that give us guidance and direction about life. And they are there to give us hope. They're there to give us direction for uh, life. Look, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you haven't yet gotten the point, there's a lot reference. There's a lot of references that point us back, but none of them say, follow these laws. It says, learn from. There's a benefit in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 11, we read, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. Happened unto who? Well, happened to the Israelites, to the Jews in the Old Testament. Uh, they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized by Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They did eat the spiritual meat. Talking about the Exodus that we've been studying. Okay, is there benefit? Yeah. These things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. What's the benefit of the Old Testament? Admonition. What's the benefit of the Old Testament? Hope. There's a lot to be learned from the Old Testament, the law included in that. So that I don't ignore what the law has to say, but the law is not my standard. The law is going to teach me a number of things that, uh, that help me to understand about the holiness of God. The law, by the way, is going to reiterate a lot of things that the New Testament talks about. You can go through the New Testament and you can find none of them are stated exactly as the Old Testament. But starting in the book of Romans and on through the rest of the New Testament, every one of the Ten Commandments are mentioned in some way either directly or indirectly, by, by directions uh, given by God to his church, by Jesus Christ, the teachings of Jesus Christ. All but one. Anyone have any idea what that is? Which was the start of our study in the first place? It's the Sabbath. Every other one you find in the New Testament uh, in the, in the, the, from the book of Romans on through the end as the instructions were written by the apostles who learned from Jesus Christ and tried to instruct us then in the teachings that Jesus Christ taught them. So there is a benefit, there is a value to the Old Testament. Paul told Timothy this, you know, we know all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? 
Okay, do you know what the verse right before that is? Say, all right, thinking, thinking, thinking. And that from a child? Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, um, which is interesting, which, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. What were the Scriptures that Timothy knew as a child? He didn't have the New Testament. All right, so then, then we know this. And is beneficial to teach us about Jesus Christ. Old Testament benefits to give us hope as we look at the lives and we look at the teaching of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is beneficial because it teaches us about the holiness of God and we're to be holy like Jesus Christ is holy. The Old Testament is beneficial uh, to, to help us see that there are examples uh, and, and their, their lives are an admonition to correct us and to instruct us in life. But the Old Testament is benef beneficial because it teaches us about salvation and it points us to Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of in the Old Testament that's going to say there is a Savior to come. Genesis chapter 2 is a great passage on that. So do we learn from the Old Testament, from the Old Testament law? Yes, absolutely, positively. Should it be thrown out the door, out the door never used again? No, there's a benefit to it. And that is not all. Uh, what value is the, New is the Old Testament? Any Old Testament, uh, New Testament truth illustrated or supported in Old Testament teaching is good for consideration. Look, let's go back to that, that uh, opening letter. Homosexuality is not wrong because Leviticus 18.22 tells us it's wrong. Um, it, it is wrong for the Christian today because Romans chapter 1 says that God created man and man rejected God, and God gave them up. And in Romans chapter 1, you can read starting in verse 18 and on through the end of the chapter how when God gave them up, man then started to live a sinful life, displeasing to God. And part of that life that was displeasing to God is they started to do unnatural things, men with men working that which is unseemly. It's inappropriate. It's not right. It's not natural. And so God condemns the matter of homosexuality and says that homosexuality is a sign that someone has absolutely said no and rejected God. By the way, you, 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 you cannot, uh, any Christian who would claim that homosexuality is right does not understand the Bible and does not understand what God said because God said the one who has rejected him and turned from him and said no to him God allowed them to go their own way and part of and a sign of that is homosexuality. And so look, I believe that homosexuality is wrong. I don't just believe it, it God's word teaches it and it's taught in the New Testament and a believer still should hate it and despise it because of Romans chapter 1. So that means I can go back to the Old Testament law and I can look at Leviticus chapter 18 and say this verse is beneficial because God tells me it's wrong in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, I see that a holy God hated it then as well. And I look at Sodom and Gomorrah and the activities found there. And I look throughout the Old Testament, and I see numerous examples of how God judged the matter of and the practice of sodomy. That, that, where do you think we got that word from anyway? Uh, homosexual activity, that God judged it. And the Old Testament then only supports what the New Testament tells me as a Christian. If I'm going to be a holy Christian, I'm like Jesus Christ. I have to hate homosexuality. 
Do you, do you get the point? So the Old Testament is beneficial. I don't preach Leviticus 18 when I preach homosexuality. I preach Romans chapter 1 when I preach against homosexuality. And I go to Leviticus 18 and say, this reminds me that God has hated this from the very beginning. And there are things to be learned. And, and many such things like that can be done. I don't base my standards of dress on Deuteronomy 22.5. A woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination to the Lord thy God. By the way, if you do that, then you're going to get the criticism that that, le that letter was talking Because right after that, there are laws that, that we don't follow either. All right, so then why would I say that Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5 has something for us today? That men should not wear women's clothes and women shouldn't wear men's clothes. And that there should be a definite distinction between the two. Because God tells Christians in the New Testament that women should adorn themselves in modest apparel. Because we find throughout the Bible, when we find throughout the New Testament, the, the idea that, uh, that a, a, a man and a woman are to be distinct and different. And so we go to the Old Testament then and we see that distinction laid out for us in the Old Testament law. And therefore, Deuteronomy um, chapter 22 is beneficial. I don't believe that, uh, that um, he's a uh, divorce and, and remarriage, that divorce and what is taught about is, is what we find in the Old Testament. The New Testament talks about this matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 deals extensively with it and many other places as well where God teaches us. So then I can go to the Old Testament and see what the law says about divorce and remarriage and what God said. And I can learn from that and benefit from it. So do you see and do you understand this? Look, look. Just because we're not under the law doesn't mean that the law has no benefit to our lives today. That we totally throw out the Old Testament and say, ah, doesn't apply. Which is what the new evangelical has told us that we're supposed to do. Well, we're, we're at liberty in Christ. And anything that you teach that, that requires people to live a certain way, that is legalism. It is not. It's biblical living. It's Christian living. It's the, the law of, of life in Jesus Christ that I am to be like Jesus Christ. And being like Jesus Christ means I'm going to come to the New Testament, especially from the books of, book of Romans and on through the end of the Bible, and we, I am going to learn what Jesus Christ was like. I'm going to look at the Gospels and see how Jesus Christ lived his life and the kind of person that he was. And then I'm going to seek to emulate him. And in emulating him, I am going to find in the Old Testament so many things that are going to help me to learn how to do that in a proper way and to please him. Now, my friends, this, this really, this deals with both sides, all right? It deals with the people who say, well, you got to worship on the Sabbath because we're under the law. No, we're not. But it also deals with the, with the other crowd that says, well, to say anything in the law is, uh, and, and we sh should be followed is legalism. No, it's not. We learn from the Old Testament and benefit from it as we look at the life of Jesus Christ and we look at what Jesus Christ taught, because if you love me, keep my commandments were the words of Jesus Christ and the teachings Jesus Christ gave. And they are found in the New Testament as the apostles wrote and shared with us the things that God would have for us. I hope um, that you understand uh, how important this truly is. And, and what, what's so amazing to me is that it, it, deals with, it deals with today. 
There is not one law I am obligated to obey in the Old Testament, but as a New Testament Christian, striving to live like Jesus Christ and walking under the control of the Spirit, I'm going to fulfill the Old Testament law, well, let's put it this way, nine times out of ten. Because in being like Jesus Christ, I'm going to follow uh, these things. It's true. So, um, I hope that is a help. It really is important for us to understand the Christian in relation to what we've been preaching and looking at in the Old Testament. And I'm also excited about it because now we can go back to the book of Exodus where we've been studying and we can continue on in chapter 21 and we're going to go through the law. Not because we're going to try to learn about whether we should wear uh, clothes that have cotton and polyester in them, you know, and different kinds of thread or whatever, but because there's things we're going to learn about God's holiness as we go through those laws. And there's things that we can glean from it. Not that we have to follow these things, but because the New Testament encourages us to be like Christ. And the Old Testament's going to t teach us some of those things about him. So I hope that will be of help to you in the days ahead. And I hope it will give you a defense, if you would, an answer for those people who would ask. Criticism, which comes often from the new evangelical crowd saying, well, we're, we are not under the law, we're under grace, anything goes, uh, all we, we, can, we can live how we want. Which, by the way, was going on in Romans when Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we there, uh, are dead to sin any long, live, live any longer therein? And he said, God forbid, God forbid. Um, and then from the other side, when they say you got to follow the law, no, don't. There's no law I have to follow, not one. But in being like Jesus Christ, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow nine out of ten. I am. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to look at.